Hello and welcome to The Personhood Project. I'm your host, Aaron Tyler Hand. In this podcast, we explore poetry's ability to provide the tools necessary to process trauma, lead towards personal growth, and help reduce recidivism in the carceral system. If these topics are of interest to you, we ask that you follow us on Twitter and subscribe wherever you are currently listening. Joining me today is poet and playwright Ebony Stewart. She is the author of three poetry collections, including 2013's Love Letters to Bald Fists and two 2022 releases, Blood Fresh and Home Girlhood. She has also written and starred in the one-woman plays Ocean and Hunger. On top of these accomplishments, she is also a woman of the World Poetry Slam champion. Thank you so much for joining me, Ebony. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. Uh, I'm so glad that I get to talk to another Texas poet. It's been a while since I've had this chance, so um, I'm glad we're able to connect. Yes. Where are you in Texas? Uh, I'm in San Marcos. I'm currently here at the MFA program at Texas State University. And uh, yeah, I'm working, you know, part of this personhood project is in collaboration with Rough Draft, which is a nonprofit here in Central Texas that works in um, the jails and correctional facilities around here. Beautiful. Eat them up cats. That's my alumni. <laughs> oh, is it? That's so cool. I didn't even know that. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, just to kind of jump in here, uh, you know, there's so many reasons I'm excited to have you here with me and be able to sit down with you. But one of the biggest ones, honestly, is to be able to talk to someone who is a poet and also a playwright. Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to someone who is a playwright. And I was just hoping you can share some info about your plays, Ocean and Hunger, just so we can get some better understanding of them. Yeah, so um, I actually thought that Ocean was going to happen first, but mm -hmm. that's not how it was aligned, right? Um, I, I actually had written a lot of Ocean, and the first director that I worked with felt that Hunger needed to come first. And mm -hmm. Hunger is basically me breaking down all of the definitions and synonyms of what hunger is and what it means in relation to my father not being in my life um, mm -hmm. a lot of me growing up um, and what that relationship was like, right? And so it just is me um, going in and out of being this young girl, this little girl, this baby, to also being this grown woman at the time I am and the different choices that I made based on um, not having my dad in my life the way I guess a lot of people do um, and how that affected me. And then Ocean is basically a homage to um, the women in my family, the matriarchs, as well as the connection to Yemaya and, you know, spirit goddesses and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it really is me breaking down um, this idea of we know, I don't know if this is the same for you, but in my family, we know a lot about the men, like the grandfathers and their side mm -hmm. of the family, but we don't know as much about the women and the grandmother's side of the family. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of get overshadowed. And I wanted to really dig deep into that. And so there's, you know, talks about, you know, um, different bloodlines and things that women go through with their menstrual cycles and, um, you know, ability to have children, reproduction, and then also what does it mean to be a tomboy and um, <laughs> how do I get to change or look at that and be my own woman as well? So, yeah. Oh yeah, that's so fascinating. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I, I do something similar kind of with my poetry, at least I am like right now I'm investigating more kind of like the background of where my mother came from, like her 
family history comes from like the Ozark region of the United States. So I've been doing a lot of reading on like Ozark folklore and just like all these like smaller things from the region that like similar idea that you were talking about with ocean is like, I just want to investigate this side of things that is often overlooked. And it's just something that, you know, through the research, you can find a deeper connection to your own family, which is cool, which maybe is something you could speak on in, in writing and being in ocean. Did you find that deeper connection with the women in your family? Yeah. There's a lot of things that I learned. Um, and I have to take the good with the bad, right? Mm-hmm. There's certain stuff exactly. that, I'm, that I'm now like wanting to undo, but it, in that investigation and, and digging, it, it really revealed a lot to me about, um, mother hunger and even just like, you know, sister wounds and um, like how these women have come to be and how that has affected uh, their mothering, you know, ways and, and, or not. Right. And so it really has made me look at, okay, am I a woman that is allowing myself to be loved? Cause that kept coming up for me um, while I was working on that piece too. And I can only imagine that a lot of it has to do with the ways that these women have been in survival mode. And so I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the same for your mom too, but giving a lot of grace, but then also just being like, mm, I got to call this out. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's, that's part of growth is you have to take the good with the bad. You have yeah. to fully sit down with both of it and just, you know, spend time thinking about and trying to rectify the wrongs, but also accept the goods and, you know, kind of work with them both. So I think that's very important work. Yeah. Thank you. Kind of based off of that, this is kind of one of my favorite questions to ask guests on the show. And it's, you know, this is the first time I get to talk to a playwright, so, or someone who's written plays and poetry. But um, would you speak on the process, kind of like the differences between writing poems or sitting down to write a play and kind of like how your mind kind of bounces between the two? Something I've asked to people who write nonfiction or memoir or people who write fiction and poetry, I just like to think about like how our brains can kind of compartmentalize these different mediums and write them. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the word compartmentalizing because, you know, poetry, I feel like kind of stays in a pocket if you mm-hmm. let it, right? It, it stays in a pocket. And me, I grew up, uh, I shouldn't say grew up, but I came up in this era of like slam poetry. And so there's mm-hmm. a certain time constraint that comes with that too. So you can't like go crazy with your writing and you can't say too much. Um, but you want to be concise and you want to be clear and you want to have punches and you want to, um, you know, get to the point basically. Yeah. Whereas like playwriting, I feel like it takes long walks. It might come back around. You might leave (laughs) and go here. And then, uh, there might be a through line to come back to, um, Mm -hmm. there might be more areas where you can really flesh that, that idea out. Um, it, it, it's not to say that there aren't any time constraints um, and that you don't have to be concise, but I think that there's a richness that can happen with playwriting um, that is just different, right? And and more full and fulfilling with with playwriting than, than poetry. However, I absolutely adore both of them because I think they've both been a challenge for me, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, but I do like the idea of um, playwriting you know, really allowing you to stretch as much as you can. And then Mm -hmm. you chop, you know, like just Mm -hmm. stretch as much as you can and then chop and take out what, what doesn't need to be there. Or maybe it needs to go in a different place and you still have room 
um, for it to go into the larger body of work rather than that particular poem. So, yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, I think that's a great idea of ways of thinking about it is like when you're sitting down with, whether it's, you know, a play or, you know, some piece of nonfiction or fiction, like there's that ability to kind of stretch things out more versus like you said, especially with your slam, when, you know, there might be, all right, you got two minutes and 30 seconds up there. What can you fit in that amount of time? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, these constraints that, you know, in poetry can sometimes be really great because it can make us say new things and make us think about things in a completely different way, having these constraints on, but being able to take those off and just kind of loosen things up. And it's just like, all right, if I could say everything, how could I say everything? And then, you know, then you pull back and then you rein back, as you said. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's a great way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of speaking about your slam um, life or as a slam poet, can you talk about like getting into poetry? Was it something that kind of slam came first or written poetry came first or they kind of blended at the same time? Well, you know what? Like, I mean, I like to tell this story that I – started writing poetry when I was just journaling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, mm-hmm. and, and there's like a longer story uh, to that, but poetry basically came from journaling. And uh, I, I don't know how cool or interesting the story <laughs> is about it besides just the fact that it was a way for me to like release different yeah, things. Yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, it became a very cathartic experience for me. Um, whereas like slam, I actually thought that slam was battle rap and <laughs> I didn't know that. So I was, you know, preparing for something that was completely the opposite and different mm-hmm. of what it <laughs> actually mm-hmm. is. But, um, I didn't start slamming until I want to say 20, maybe 2005, mm-hmm. 2006. Um, and I just became very immersed in it. I'm a competitive person. I love words. Um, and the challenge is to, you know, be the best in three minutes and 10 seconds. I'm like, yes, I want this problem. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it worked out really, really well. Um, I, I don't slam as much anymore, but I have an infinity for it. I think that'll always be, and I owe a lot of, you know, what my writing has become and who I am on stage to, to that process and to that slam poetry industry, right. Of just being able to compete. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's also such an exciting thing that you were able to win the woman of the world poetry slam championship. Like that's a huge accomplishment. So congratulations on that. When was that? What year was that? Thank you. That was 2017. 2017. So exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. It was a really exciting time. You know, Um, I think that's also when poetry slam poetry specifically was at its peak, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, it was like really, really on its high. So to win it and to win against such, you know, amazing women. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Big accomplishment. But a more recent big accomplishment is that you received your master's in social work. That's correct? Yeah, I got a master's in clinical social work. I just finished um, August 2022. Congratulations. That's so, yeah, that's just a month or two ago. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. It was such a hard job. (laughs) (laughs) I could only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Too much. uh, This MFA program is hard enough and it's nowhere near what a clinical social work master's would be doing. So I, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Just kind of on that topic, I wanted to ask, or I'm hoping you could kind of speak on social work in this country. I know social workers are so undervalued and I'm just hoping you could kind of, I don't know, 
don't have to speak for every social worker, but just like the importance of social work and just like what it can do and offer for helping heal people and things in this country. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely can't speak for every social worker. And I think a lot of what I was doing before um, I actually got the degree was within that wheelhouse. Right. Mm -hmm. But social work is its own, um, its own, magnificent mega house, right? Yeah. Like it does so much. And, you know, from casework, caseworkers, case management, you know, um, to actual therapy, clinical therapy, to just making sure that people have resources and are advocated for and feel seen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and And for me, like, especially with the work, you know, that you're partnered with, it's so necessary um, yeah. to- to be recognized, but also to just know that I'm doing this work for the people that look like me mm-hmm. um, or that I can most relate to is really, really important. Uh, and that's not to say that other people besides black and brown people don't need, you know, social work services, but we are the majority that do need them. You know what I yeah, mean? And so I, I really appreciate being able to, you know, just offer, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of sunshine or a little bit more resilience um, to to the toolbox that they already have. So social workers do so much. I I don't even know if I have all of the language, you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, I mean, I totally agree. I I mean, I I didn't go the same direction, but my undergraduate degrees in psychology, and I definitely had this like interest in the field for a long time. And I worked in some communal living, transitional housing for people leaving, um, mental institutions. So I, I have some, you know, I've dipped my toe in the field a little bit, but I, I just through like the people I've known in my life who are social workers and just knowing the the faults of this country, I just know how important having more social workers are. So yeah, again, thank you and congratulations on getting that degree. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I was hoping kind of to tie it back into poetry. Are there aspects of what you hope to accomplish with social work that you kind of have been working with your poetry, whether it's kind of like topics you're touching on or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, when I used to teach sexual health to sixth and seventh grade, I feel like a lot of that poetry, like the anonymous box question poem that I have is like very, very, you know, intertwined with Mm -hmm you know, social work and sexual health work, you know, or advocacy in that way. Uh, but also like, you know, what, I, what I'm what i hoping to do is be able to work with artists of all yeah. calibers um, and offer them, you know, coaching and support services. Um, so that's my, that's my big goal and dream. And mm-hmm. it's not been done that way before. And so sometimes you meet, you know, people who kind of like want to limit you based on what they can't imagine. And so I just don't have any time for that. But (laughs) I do think that, you know, my work is speaking to the people that I want to work with. Um, And whether that be, you know, men, women, uh, gender nonconforming, or just like LGBTQ folk, I think my work is definitely sprawled vastly uh, across that so that it's going to well, my hope, right, is that it's relatable mm-hmm. and that, you know, people are able to um, get something from it. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, just kind of on that topic, since you had two releases this year, would you want to speak on Blood Fresh and Homegirlhood just for people who maybe aren't familiar and maybe, you know, talk about the themes or whatever's kind of running throughout them? 
Sure, sure. So Homegirlhood actually came first. There was a, uh, it's a re-release from 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out and it's more or less like, it's like the the Girl Around the Way book, right? It's 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 the homegirl that you grew up with. I'm, you know, originally from Baytown, Texas or Houston, for those who don't know where Baytown, Texas is, like East Houston. But, um, you know, like it's still Harris County, so we claim it all. I think, is, <laughs> you know, one of those cities. But yeah, yeah like uh, it, it definitely speaks to the hood and, and the girl and the home. And so it breaks it up into those compartments of like, compartmentalizing again of what mm-hmm. that can mean um for someone who who it's who has experienced poverty or who didn't have their parent or um who is just like trying to make it home from school you know what i mean exactly, so it's, it's, yeah. it's doing a lot of that work in a very honest and bold way and so it has it has the curse words it has like the language of the people in that hood right mm-hmm. um and it, it's 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 made for us and, and, and to understand it in that way. And so it doesn't shy away from like, you know, being hard or heavy uh, or, or just saying the sayings, right? It's not worried yeah. necessarily about form or, um, you know, literary devices. It's not worried about any of that. It's just mm-hmm. doing the work uh, in its most honest and authentic way from like when I first started writing and had a love and knack for writing, right? Um, whereas Blood Fresh, uh, it's the newest one just released this year as well. So Homegirlhood re-released because I have a different publisher. And then with that came the bonus of Blood Fresh. Um, and Blood Fresh just basically is doing the mental gymnastics. Um, <laughs> it, it's going through all the mental gymnastics of the the doing and undoing. Um, mm-hmm. It talks a lot about depression and suicide and things that are just really real on a mental level. Um, it also does this, this really interesting thing that I, I didn't really notice it until I, until I read it, but I tried to incorporate so much from the cover into the book, but the book was written first and then the cover came after. So anything that you see about like how, how you look at the cover, if ever, uh, you look at the cover, it's, it's got like these snakes and so snakes on it wrapped around these legs. And so that is a symbolization of like or symbolizes, um, you know, assault, sexual assault, mm-hmm. rape, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just goes through when someone isn't well but wants to be, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it, I guess, basically is a mature response to homegirlhood, a more mm. mature, well-thought-out response to homegirlhood, um, but still just really trying to figure it out, really wanting to get it right. Um, rather than it doesn't matter if I get it right, which is what homegirlhood is. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, like homegirlhood was the raw version. It's like this needs to be said and it doesn't need to be said in this formal kind of way. It just this needs to come out kind of thing versus uh, blood fresh is like, all right, let me sit down and let me put let me put this together for you. And, you know, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. In reading a little bit about blood fresh or in reading blood fresh, I should say, um, it seems like you're kind of trying to reclaim a narrative a little bit in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping you can speak on the power of poetry as a tool to kind of reclaim a, your own narrative. Because obviously you do poetry, you do um, playwriting, but just poetry as a tool to kind of reclaim someone's narrative. Yeah. I, I Poetry is such a soft spot for me. Like I, mm-hmm. I love 
this idea and, um, you know, reach in, in reaching and in, in reaching for myself. Cause I feel like that's how I would describe poetry. Like I'm writing and maybe people will get it. Maybe people will understand it, but I'm really reaching for myself. Um, yeah. I'm really reaching for my resilience, my own understanding, my own definitions and defining who I am. Um, and poetry just really allows that type of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that there are some people that feel like they're not writers. They're like, Oh, I'm not a poet. Um, and then they come up with like these brilliant things and I'm like, you sure? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I think, you know, it doesn't, as much as maybe it used to, I think back in the olden days might, ha- might've had some like elitist flair to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love that there's so much about what poetry has done for me and just helping me to open up, to reevaluate, um, to analyze, to dig. Um, and to be concise, right? And yeah. I used to think that I could only have one poem about one thing. Um, and then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, now what's my next thing I could write about? But what I've learned and what poetry has allowed me to accept about myself is that I might need to write that same poem more than once um, mm-hmm. because I've grown, I've changed. Uh, I might have different viewpoints and ideas about that. And I want to write from where I am right now. And so poetry is always like this living you know, artifact. It's this yeah. living legend that travels with you um, as you go. Yeah. And you're kind of speaking on the, um, how poetry had this like elitist view or people write these amazing things, but they still don't see themselves as poets. And that's definitely something we try to help break those ideas. And this, when we go into our classrooms and the jails here in central Texas, it's just like, you can write amazing things. And whether it's a carefully constructed poem, like what's found in Blood Fresh, or if it's, you know, just like an unleashing of emotion, like in Homegirl Hood, like it doesn't, it could be either one, like there's no right or wrong for what poetry is. There is you sitting down and writing and what comes out, as we'll see later on when we get to the poems inspired by your work, there's like, a there's beautiful things that come out of there. Yeah, for sure. 100%. In our preliminary interview, you said poetry shouldn't just happen in a vacuum or a tunnel. There is a boldness in facing our trauma, sharing our efforts to overcome it. I was hoping you could kind of work off that idea and maybe talk about the difference in like how going from homegirlhood, this kind of more raw collection to a more maybe like I don't know if polished is the right word, but, you know, like worked through poems in Blood Fresh, like kind of the difference in working through and overcoming things, one in this raw sense and one in this more polished sense. Yeah. A lot of a lot of things happen when you get to say the work out loud um, mm-hmm. is more like what I what I think maybe I meant by it not happening in a vacuum. You know, like you can write something and you can read it to yourself and never say it out loud, actually hear yourself say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there is a particular power that you gain from saying it out loud, even just to yourself, recording it, hearing yourself back, um, or saying it in front of other people makes it that much more true. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also this bravery that happens. And so I wouldn't say by any means that my work is uh, necessarily polished. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I want it to be. I don't know if it always is. And I don't know if I get to decide that. I think that's more for the reader to decide if it's polished or not. Mm -hmm. But for me, I wrote it honest and I wrote it true. 
and I wrote it, you know, so it, it makes it, um, it makes it timeless for me. So, you know, going from homegirlhood in this, in this very raw and in your face, I don't know if I ever know how to tone that down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's who I am. But, Mm -hmm. um, I do think that, you know, blood fresh is softer. Yeah. Blood fresh is a little bit softer, but then there's these moments where it cuts a little deeper and you just got to mm-hmm. be able to pay attention to it. You got to be, you know, you might skim past it if you're not really intentional <laughs> about, you know, what you're, what you're reading. Um, Blood fresh is not a poem. Or I mean, a, a book of poetry, excuse me. Blood fresh is not a book of poetry that you can just um, read quickly. Yeah. You really got to sit with it. And I think even one of my friends told me, um, Ayo Kunle Falamo, who has also uh, left a blurb in the book, um, he said that after several poems, he had to take a break and had to come back to it for like, he had to just put the book down and come back to it like <laughs> three days later, you know, because it is very thick. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's what's happening with us. That's very real and honest. Like we are really... Um, I think people are so interesting in the sense that we are never just dealing with one thing. We're dealing with a whole bunch of things at one time. And um, Blood Fresh really shows shows you that. It shows that sometimes you need a break <laughs> from what you're <laughs> writing, what you're experiencing and lifing, right? Adulting and whatever that means um, to then try to like bring the humor. And I think trying to bring humor into Blood Fresh was an interesting feat because my family are all like comical people and just like silly heads. But (laughs) some of that is just because laughter is the only way we know how to heal or that we know how to move forward. Mm -hmm. So I did try to offer those moments. Um, But I I have a dry humor, so I don't know if it (laughs) always comes through, but um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's like a person who, can you dance? Poorly, but I like to do it anyway. <laughs> exactly. I love that, right? So so like homegirlhood is like is like a twerk fest. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like um there if we had a soundtrack to it, right? It's like Chameleon Womp Womp or Cardi <laughs> B or Megan mm-hmm. Sound. Like that's what homegirlhood is, right? Where it's like Blood Fresh is more Kendrick Lamar, you know, like mm-hmm. you're not gonna really work to Kendrick Lamar, you know, (laughs) it's not that different. It's just different. It's just different. So, Mm -hmm. um, the, the work does different things and I'm grateful that I've been able to, um, allow myself to write from different perspectives and places in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful to think about. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like a healthy way of, again, kind of going back to this word that just keeps popping up compartmentalizing things like not everything you write has to be cardi b's up you know it doesn't have to be that banger you know like it could be the kendrick lamar it could be the mr morale which is like a completely confessional kind of thing there's there's different worlds and it's okay to be in both at the same time like you don't have to just go in one or the other right yeah 
it seems like a perfect place to kind of transition to the second part of our podcast here. So for those who are first time listeners, uh, in the second part of the podcast, we look at Ebony's poems and then the poems inspired by her work. So we take Ebony's work as well as a poet profile into our classrooms at, in central Texas at the correctional facilities. And we teach on her work or whoever we are talking to for that month. So this month we took Ebony's work to both the Hayes County Correctional Facility and the Travis County Correctional Facilities. We have classrooms at both of those. So Ebony, if you would read Today Must Be, and then we could talk about that poem, that'd be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Today must be act a fool day. Break your girlfriend's heart day. Don't answer the phone day. Don't call back day. Broken promises day. I said I love you, but I didn't mean it day. Fuck boy day. I say things I don't mean day. I say things I don't mean so I can get what I want day. Say one thing but mean another day. Avoid life making decisions day. Ruin my day day. Ruin my life day. I don't need you, but I want you day. I say your name when you're not around. Day. Thank you. I, that humor comes out in that one, I think, <laughs> so well. So I'm glad you touched on that topic before we got into this poem. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a, you know, um, today must be, you know, there's so many, like, when you look on the calendar, they're like, it's a certain particular day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Like, not just like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? But there's some like celebration or some holiday, like yeah. every single day. Yeah. Every single day. And I'm like, who is making these things up? <laughs> I have no idea. Because <laughs> I'm not getting consulted <laughs> to ask me what day it is, you know? Um, yeah. And so that's really where that poem came from. Mm -hmm. I wanted to try to think of what is this day for me? And if in the, in the actual like book, it's coming off of, you know, some heartbreak. Um, mm -hmm. some upsets and just like being young and in love and what yeah. that means when people change. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what does it mean when people change, but also what does it mean when you allow people to change? Like they mm -hmm. change their mind and that's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Like that whole, like today is da 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 day. I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Who would have guessed? <laughs> I did have no idea. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we take writing prompts along with your poem into the classroom. And I'm just going to read the one we had based off today must be just for anyone who's listening who might be looking for a writing prompt. And just as a reminder, if you go to our website, you can find the writing prompts as well as the poems inspired by Ebony's work. As you can see, all the lines in today must be end with the word day. This poetic technique of repeating a word or words at the end of lines is called epistrophe. Here, Ebony uses the repetition to really drive home what kind of day she is having. By using it over and over, the reader feels a ramping up of tension that builds onto the emotions of the poem about her not very good day. Take this wonderful idea from Ebony and write a poem where each line ends with the word day. Use the poem to talk about what kind of day you are having. Be sure to focus the poem on one type of emotion so that the repetition helps expand the emotion for the reader. Remember, it doesn't have to be a negative emotion. You can choose to focus on the good of the day as well. Would you want to go ahead and read 
today must be the poem that is inspired by your work that uses the same title? Oh, yeah. Like the different poems that that people um, wrote? Yes, please. Yes. Let me pull those up. Let me also just say those poems were fire. Like, yes. <laughs> there's some really good poems this month, and I'm really excited so to share them. Yeah, I was so impressed. I I really enjoyed them. Um, it made me it made me want to write, and I love when that happens. Mm. Like when I'm reading other people's work, and it makes me want to write. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh no, Ebony, you wrote this poem too. Like it's okay. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that's kind of what we want. Is like you know, we see it as like this, you know, kind of back and forth, this sharing, this you know, it's there's not like. A pen pal, but it is kind of in the sense where you're kind of going back and forth and they're inspired by your work and they're inspired by your work. And then they can go, eh, that's so fun to just see that back and forth of it. Yeah. I wish I could see this in real time, but I'm going to share. Um, a today must be. Today must be. I slept bad, but I had a dream day. I feel gracious day, cool, calm and collective day. Opportunity day, take a super stiff shot day, go to class in my icy whites day, pop my collar day, call my worsome baby mama day, have a cool conversation with my kids day, baby mama drama day, bitch don't kill my vibe day, the world is mine's day, shake the haters off day, somebody's birthday, pull them bands out and play day, make it rain day. I see you looking with your looking ass day, slap that ass day, fake love day, give her the world day. Pick the world up and drop it on your fucking head day. The glass is half full, half empty day. Find the good in the bad day. Fuck you, but have a nice day. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. I loved this poem and just hearing you read it just added a whole other element to it. And I'm sure they're definitely going to appreciate here. And yeah, I don't know, just you're, you know, having a slam poet world champion there reading that poem. You just added a whole nother aspect to it. Yeah. I hope I'm doing these poems justice. I want to just say about that poem though. Like I loved how fun it was, how honest, but then also, you know, that little bit of grace, it mm-hmm. offered like a little bit of grace, um, and it had manners, right? Like I love this poem. Like it's so good, and it yeah, and, and I, playful. Yeah, I love the playfulness of it as well, and just how like authentic it felt to someone's voice. They didn't, you know. Oftentimes, when you're working with a first-time writer or something like that, they'll be like, "Oh, I have to speak in proper." white English, you know, something like that. They were like, no, this is my day and I'm using my voice and I'm being (laughs) 100% real with it. And it's, it worked out so well. Yeah. I I mean, the icy whites day is like, I need more of those days actually (laughs) to go to class in my icy whites. I should have did that more when I was in school. Damn. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'm just thinking about, um, the power of this poem is like almost optimistic and just like beautiful in the sense that, you know, these people aren't in the most fortunate situations right now where they're, you know, stuck in a carceral system. And, but this poet still was like, I'm going to focus on the good. I want to focus on those beautiful days. I want to focus on those days where I'm, where I shake off the haters and where we're celebrating somebody's birthdays and Mm -hmm. we're pulling out the bands, you know, like just, 
all of these things when it's just like okay to just let yourself be happy in a time when you know the world might not be or trying to make you less happy yeah and 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 in that right like is is the memory mm-hmm. of what was and mm-hmm. what they're like what you're saying also like of, of the hope of what still could be yeah. yeah i really enjoyed this poem actually and then the turn at the very end the last line fuck you but have a nice day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, here's all the good. I'm kind of ramping up a little bit and fuck you, but have a nice have day. A nice day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You kind of think, yeah. Yeah. You kind of think of the emotions of, especially being in a place where, you know, there's so much like authority figures over you all the time where, you know, so many times they've probably wanted to say like, fuck you, but you know, they have to re- treat these people with respect right. who are above them for, right. you know, a number of reasons. So it's just like having that emotion out, like, fuck you, but have a nice day. It's just like, right. oh, such right. a perfect, like cherry on top of this poem. For sure. And I wonder if this person is like from the South or Southern, cause it's almost giving me that, like, bless your heart. You know, oh yes, exactly. It. it has that same <laughs> bless your heart feeling to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really honest and I I admire when people are honest and speak in their their own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and don't change. I I would prefer it if people stay current in their own voice of what they feel comfortable with. I totally agree. I mean, that's definitely something I try to pull into the classroom is just like how can you represent yourself? And like, you know, the people I try to bring on this podcast, I try to have, you know, a variety of backgrounds. So, you know, some people eventually will find someone who kind of relates to them or might have like a voice similar to theirs or a history similar to theirs, some sort of background similar to theirs. And, you know, I want them to see how people are using their authentic voices in poetry right now, because a lot of people's history with poetry is reading something in high school that they had no connection to at all. And then that's what they think poetry has to be stuck at. So it's like, how can we show them an Ebony Stewart poem? And then they write this amazing poem, you know, things like that, where they're like, okay, I feel comfortable putting my real voice out there. Yeah. Yeah. This next one is entitled a good day. Today is a good day. I woke up today. I went to work today. I got paid today. I spent time with my kids today. I made it back home safe today. So the next day, I get to repeat today. I must say today was a good day. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Yeah. That repetition, bringing the a good day back at the very end of the poem, tying it into the first line, tying it into the title. Yeah. It's just people, I mean don't realize like how much or how well they can write. Just like you were saying earlier, like they have this idea of like poetry, this thing or poetry is that thing. What I write is just, you know, whatever, but like, you know, sitting down to write a poem, this person wrote something beautiful and just like, it does these beautiful things in it. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And I do, I do admire the cleverness of today. They Mm -hmm. made, a choice. They could have just said day, but they said today. And so mm-hmm. that does something different too, right? That it's not like a um that it's not like a I don't know, holiday, right? It's yeah. more like no, just today. Mm-hmm. Just focused on today. 
and then reminds you that they get to make it back home safe. Yeah. So that they can repeat today, which also says to me that, you know, they don't mind that they have to do some of these things in mm-hmm. their survival, right? They don't mind that uh, things are repetitious. You know, it's like yeah. sometimes there is comfort in, you know, the repetition of our lives. You know, mm-hmm. we, are, we are religiously doing things and comfortable with the repetitive factors. So, yeah, this yeah, poem I mean, has so much hope. There's, yeah, there's, there is a hope in the repetition. It's almost like, you know, kind of creating this religious, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like this ritual. It's almost like creating this ritual with your day to day and just being yeah. able to see the precious of the day to day is like such a beautiful thing, especially in something that's two, four, six, it's only eight line poem, but yet it still encapsulates so much within the short amount of writing. Yeah. And and I want to say, like, also, uh, I wish I could write eight lines and it'd be this good, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could write eight lines and it'd be I, this good. I had the same conversation with uh, Jason B. Crawford a couple months ago. They had that same sentiment and we were talking and it was like, how do I sit down and write a short poem that's good? Every time I sit down, it's like, I got to spill out so many lines to get to somewhere and these poets they can sit down and just write these beautiful short poems whether it's an eight line like this one we've seen some shorter ones in the past but it, there's so much talent in being able to sit down and write an eight line poem and have it be so well done that I, yeah hopefully they read or sorry hopefully they listen to this episode and they hear us gushing and they're like okay yeah i can write a short poem yeah i know what i'm doing because yeah. they can it's there Proof is on the paper. For sure. Would you want to read your other poem, Fear, for us, please? Sure. So this is Fear. I am asked to write about the birth of my demons, to tell how fear was born, the way it came into existence. I struggle myself to ink, strike through words, crumble a hundred pages with fear written all over them, leaving me waist deep in torture. Flood my body with every story that has ever tried to consume me. Fear must have been born like this. And tremble and strange sounds must be a belly's echo with muffled screams slung all around. Must be an artist. Must be an international student relearning everything that couldn't make its way across an ocean. Must be an island. Must be lonely growing lusciously. Must have grown fangs and thorns and vines. Must have wrapped itself in everything hard and hurt. Must have strangled love until its eyes popped out. Here, must be blind and touching everything. Must have eight arms and three heads. Must be a monster mating with itself multiple times until it became a forest, a continent, a whole person, a place to live. Fear must have a stubborn heart. Must thump stress, speak creep. Must haunt your dreams, your goals, your happiness. Fear be a bottom feeder. Must scrape every last bit of hope from your feet. Must keep you stuck and graduated hater. Yeah, fear. Must be a cowboy roping, hanging. Must be a gangster with machine gun. Must be a police officer with an empty weapon after emptying his weapon inside the soul of a black body. It must be a black mother's home with all these unarmed black bodies walking around. Fear. Must be a nigga 
And everybody want to be a nigga, but don't nobody want to be a nigga. Shots fired. Yeah, shots fired. Yeah, fear. Must be bomb called beauty and exotic. The only person of color in the whole room. Must be the revolution untelevised. Must be a man calling out another man when misogyny forces its way into his mouth. Fear must be coming out but still having to pretend to be someone else. Must be a body in transition. Must be permission for two women to kiss in public, for two men to hold hands. Fear must be given. Must be a law. Must be in place to save the human race. Quote, the universe wrote fiction in us. And it's called fear. I'm not saying I'm ashamed. I don't even want to be brave. I just don't want to be afraid of being who I am, but fear is the part of me I know the most. Therefore, I think I'm free, but am I really? Fear is who we loving, sexing, and paying our tithes to. Yes, fear is a God, a religion, who we pray to and believe in. Fear mustn't be uttered, admitted, or claimed to have faith in. Fear must just be who fear be and how fear came about. Amazing. Thank you so much for reading. It's such a treat having this, you know, kind of intimate poetry reading from you. Again, you're you're so talented and the way just being able to hear this poem from your voice was Thank you. You know, this th- that poem in particular, I and I don't know if other people need to hear this, but I don't always read it how it's placed on the page. Mm-hmm. Um cuz it's a poem that like I've now shared, you know, on the stage and so the stage to the page for me can often change and I like to yeah. do what I want because it's still my poem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know how I want it to sound rather than how I want it to be read. And so yeah. I it's I didn't read it exactly how it is on the page, but um Oh, I, I mean I'm I'm sitting here reading along and I notice, you know, you might miss a word. I wouldn't say miss, you would skip a word here and there and you would maybe skip a line or something, but yeah. that there's something that's kind of a freedom I've never thought about in poetry. When you're reading up there, like you're not contained to what's on the page. You're the author of that piece. Like you get to decide yeah. how you read it and how it fits into the world. And I'm just kind of feeling like I'm kind of having my mind blown for a second. Just like that idea of just like that freedom. Like I've just never thought about it. I mean, I've obviously never been in the slam world. I've, you know, I've read my poems out loud, but it's, you know, just poetry readings that are, not as exciting as the slam poetry reading. So yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm going to sit with that thought for a while because that's such a, yeah, that's such an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, we, we all make choices, right. But I, mm-hmm. I do think that going back to just like how powerful it is to say it out loud, mm-hmm. um, you get to change how you say it. You get to change how you read your work and how it's received. And um, I think to hear this work, to read it is one thing. And I, I feel like I'm hoping, right, that people get so much out of it when they read it. But to hear yeah. it, I think also um, unlocks something different too for myself and for the listener. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, before we get into the poems inspired by it, I'm going to read the writing prompt here just in case anybody wants to use it. And again, it'll be on our website. You can find it on roughdrafttx.org. In Ebony Stewart's poem, Fear, we see her reflect on the power of fear. The poem opens with the line, I am asked to write about the birth of my demons. But instead of telling that story, Ebony writes about the many ways fear can manifest in someone's life and how that manifestation can take over and control them. Write a poem where you talk about fear 
It can be a poem about the time you felt most afraid. It could be a poem about what fear looks like to you. It could be a poem about what frightens you the most right now. Take a moment to reflect on your relationship with fear and write about what comes to mind. There's an untitled poem that was inspired by this one. Would you read that for us, please? Yes. This is an untitled piece. Living inside the chamber of my soul lies a candle burning, making a hole, dripping wax, melting away, spills from its walls throughout each day. Somehow the fire has reached my mind, billowing smoke that makes me go blind. Flames now released, twist and turn, push through my heart, oh, how it burns. Pull it out, I hear myself scream. Release me from this darkened dream. No, she says with a wicked smile. I plan to stay for quite a while. My tears aren't enough to put out the flames. Engulfing my heart, she's enjoying her games. All the deceit is what ignites this candle. All the untruth I cannot handle. So I warn my dear brothers to guard their hearts because one little lie is where it all starts. You don't hear rhyming poetry too often anymore, but this poem makes me want to sit down and write, you know, a poem with every two lines rhyming. It just does it in a way that feels refreshing and new. And I don't know, there's just something about it that just makes me want like, why don't we write rhyming poetry anymore? Because this is so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I'm going to say? I think one of the reasons why there's not a whole, whole lot of rhyming poetry as much anymore is because of how hard it is. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this poem is so smart because you have to sit and think about what you're about to say next. Yeah. And then you have to think about, does it rhyme? Mm-hmm. You know, and where you want the rhyme to come, right? And, or, or fall. And it's like this, this poet made the choice for it to fall at the end of each sentence. And again, it, it still makes so much sense. All yeah. of it is so cohesive um, and creates these really nice visuals that are like haunting as well as like moving, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, hands down to this yeah. book. Yeah. And kind of going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about like how constraints can offer something in poetry the constraint of having yourself like have to rhyme the next, the next line. Like if you look at the lines, they're not writing like across the full page, trying to get to that word. Like it's very concise. Everything's almost matching all the line links or, you know, there's a little variation, but there's not a lot of variation. So that means I had to sit down and carefully craft out like, all right, how can I get to a word that's going to rhyme in a way where I'm not rambling a lot or I'm not like, putting just like the word down like like you said there's a lot of skill and time and like effort put into into a rhyming poem that this poet clearly did that yeah i probably agree that a lot of people just don't want to sit down and think about those things anymore yeah yeah and i mean all of the all of the rhyming words at the end again go back to the the aforementioned line and mm-hmm. um, kind of you know tie everything in together and it also reads a little bit like a spell. <laughs> and I 
like that. Oh, too. it does read like a spell. Yeah. <laughs> it reads a little bit like a spell. And so I, I admire that, you know, um, that witchiness of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I do. I like that. And it, yeah, it almost has like this, like this moral at the end the, um, so I warn my dear brothers to guard their hearts because one little lie is where it all starts. Like it almost feels like, you know, they kind of give this witchy spell and then the like the last incantation is like, what's going to happen if, you know, it doesn't work. Like it just, yeah. calling it a spell is like, granted, that's not what they're going for, but the, in that world of a spell is like, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. So well done. Mm-hmm. So clever. What a clever bunch. We have one more poem here inspired by your work. Would you read My Demon, please? Sure. My Demon. I first met my demon on March 9th, 1980. Bore not breathing. He tried to kill me as a baby. Three years later, he came in the form of a family member. Split my head open. That was something I will always remember. Tried again when I was six years old. He was the drunk driver that almost killed me when I was crossing the road. Twelve years old, I knew. I was hellbound, pushed off a third-story balcony. I didn't wake up till the next day after I hit the ground. By the age of 23, I was shot three times. By this age, I didn't give a fuck about much either. I'm living or dying. Twenty-six years old, he took my youngest child I didn't know how to take it, lost in depression and misery. I wish he would have took me and just let my son make it. In my 30s, he came disguised as my only friend. I fell in love with my demon. By this time, he was heroin. Consumed so much, I even stopped breathing. I even died one time. My heart stopped beating. It's nothing short of a miracle that I'm 42 now. Ask me how I made it this far. I couldn't even tell you how. Oh, the power of this poem, the, the, it's, it's purely emotionally driven and the emotion in it is, I, I, it's hard to even have words for how deep this writer got and how just like, yeah. how much they're sharing and how beautiful like this world they're creating is like, even it's a world of pain, like by beautiful, I guess, I mean, just like the vivid pictures of this personal narrative. Yeah. The, the, one of the things that stands out to me in this poem is how linear it is and Mm -hmm. how heart wrenching and gut punching that linear part is right. Like listening to it and reading it, I know so much about a person that I don't know mm-hmm. and it's layered so fine that it's thick. And that is, I think, its own type of magic when a writer can give you so much that it's it's too thin, right? Mm-hmm. It's like so thin, but it's also so much there. And yeah. And gives you this like richness of like being able to read between the lines or wonder or imagine. Um and it also like reminds me of that saying that people, you know, say like you never know what someone's going through. Mhm. Yeah, this one this one definitely reminds you 
you never know what somebody's going through. This person is skipping things for us, not for yeah. them. You yeah. know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, we talked about earlier when I kind of brought up the today must be writing prompt, how repetition has this ability to kind of ramp up emotions. And granted, this isn't doing epistrophe like today must be is, but like still we have this repetition of like three years old, this happened, six years old, this happened, 12 years old, 23, 26, 30. And it's just like, it's so real for this woman and so many people in this world, unfortunately, but like just writing a poem where you're laying it all out like that, where someone can see how this happens over and over again in people's lives, whatever the demon may be. And it may come in different forms. Like people have these demons come up over and over again and just being able to see how often it can happen for people. is just like eye opening. I think for a lot of people who maybe have a more privileged life where they don't maybe necessarily have demons popping up, but like there's just so much for anyone to connect with in that, hopefully. Yeah. And, and it has so much triumph to it, right? Of mm-hmm. this, um, but they don't even know how. Like the ending is like, I couldn't yeah. even tell you how I got here, mm-hmm. but it's almost like a, but look, I made it. You know what I mean? Or look, yeah. I'm still doing it. Or look, mm-hmm. you know, and um, all of the things that they've had to survive. And still having that, I can't tell you how I got here. You know what I mean? But I'm here. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just something so sincere about mm-hmm. that last line for me. Yeah. It wasn't trying to tie it up neatly. It wasn't trying to have this like bow at the ending. It's mm-hmm. like, I can't tell you how I got here, but you know, there's this feeling of like, I'm thankful I'm still here. Like, I'm still the fighter. I'm still battling. I'm still winning. Yeah this war with these demons. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Ooh. And just kind of going back to what we were talking about the other one too, we get these rhymes. It's a different kind of rhyme though, where the last poem had the the rhyme at the end of the, each word. Like this one, we see a lot of internal rhyme through the stanzas to where it's kind of typically, but doesn't always happen where the last word of each stanza rhymes with a word somewhere earlier in the stanza. Oh, sure. Like in the second one we have, uh, member in the middle of the second line and then remember as the last word. And then we have it popping up again, heroin on the last word and then friend, we get that rhyme. There's just in the next stanza, we get breathing and beating and it's just kind of like something about these rhymes that are help driving it. And again, it's like, how do they how did this poet stay within this world and stay within this kind of confessional and creating this world while at the same time mm-hmm. keeping up with this you know rhyme scheme like that's that is a talent to be able mm-hmm. to do that that is this poem is you know the first time i read it or i heard it read it was it was one of those things like this needs to be published like how like yeah. <laughs> how can we get this poem published because it's this is doing so much more on the line level, on the confessional level than I've seen so many published poems doing. For sure. For sure. And it, when you, when you bring about like the certain words and lines that are rhyming or where, where they're placed, Mm -hmm. I was thinking when I was reading this and I don't know if I necessarily did it justice, but I was thinking about an inhale and an exhale. Oh yeah. Like the lines are rhyming or the words are rhyming 
on one of those points of an inhale mm-hmm. or an exhale. And mm-hmm. again, just goes back to, you know, uh, you know, yeah. like this release. And uh-huh. I think this is what's happening for this poet. Um, I just needed to write this. I just needed to say this. And I'm, and now I'm relieved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very well. I, I totally see that like inhale where it's like a little bit of anxiety, then you're letting it go. Yeah. And it kind of mimics how I mean, granted, they say I couldn't even tell you how they've made it this far, but I guarantee this breathing, this going in and out, this like taking this moment to be like, all right, let me reflect on things, let me think about things, yeah. let me work through it. Like being able to take that moment of time to take that inhale, take that exhale, it's helped. I guarantee that's been part of the helping. And just seeing that reflected in the way it's written is so powerful. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing these with me. Wow. Thank you for being a part of this project. I mean, it's 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 a treat, you know, finding someone who's willing to work with us. Like we're a very small organization where this podcast is still growing. It's only in its first year. So getting people when I, you know, send out emails or Twitter messages being like, Hey, I would love to have you as part of this and someone respond back to it positively. So thank you so much for doing that. I, it was such a treat hearing you read and your insight into these poems. And I'm, I can't wait for them to hear all the beautiful things you had to say about their work. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing this with me and reaching out and allow me to be a part of this project. Yeah, it's such a treat. I want to thank Ebony for sitting down with me today. I also want to thank the incarcerated folks in our program that shared their work with us, as well as Humanities Texas and the Burdine Johnson Foundation for making this project possible. A special thank you to our sound engineer, Nathan Parnell, and graphics designer, Jules Tennell. On a special note, I want to thank our listeners for supporting us this year. It's wild to think that this episode marks one year of the Personhood Project, so thank you all for sitting down and listening to it. Thank you again for spending time with us and reflecting with us, and until next year, I'll see you then.